0: We are finishing up today the book of John that we've been in for about the last 14 months. And I'm, I'm excited to finish it up. It's been a good study through Jesus and his life and what he did, as told by one of his good friends, a guy named John, who gives us an eyewitness account of all sorts of things. And, and John has uh, told a, a lot of uh, stories and explained to us things Jesus did, what he said, where he went. And over the last couple weeks, if you remember, right here towards the end of the book, uh, Basically, we saw Jesus crucified, and then he came back from the dead. And last week, we talked about how Jesus had appeared to a couple people, uh, his disciples, to Mary Magdalene, to, uh, again, to his disciples, the guy named Thomas. We, we kind of went through that, and then we get here to the, to the end of the book. Uh, J- Jesus talks about, uh, and has been talking about, really for his entire ministry, he's been talking about this idea that he is bringing a new kingdom to the world. He's, uh, his death and resurrection sort of inaugurates or begins this new kingdom, this idea, and what is that all about kingdom that 's a weird word like for us. if I say what do you think about when you think of kingdom you 're thinking of probably like castles and princes and swords and knights and and, and and all of that kind of stuff. We think kingdom in terms of earthly political rule uh, as ruled by some sort of monarch, some sort of king or queen. We, we kind of think in, in those terms, and so when Jesus comes along in his ministry on earth, he says, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And we're sitting there going, what is that? I know what a kingdom is. I know what heaven is. It's that place with like clouds and angels that play harps, I think. Um, There's all of that. And then there's this kingdom idea, like what is he talking about? Well, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven, uh, we, we need to get at that idea. Dallas Willard, one of my favorite writer, theologian, philosophers. He says, the kingdom is the range of God's effective will. The kingdom is the range of God's effective will. So it's basically where God's will is playing out, where the world is becoming the things that God wants it to be. So the kingdom is not the church, although the church is part of the kingdom. The kingdom is even larger than just any one uh, particular church. And so we are striving to make the kingdom real here on earth. Jesus prays in his most famous prayer, the Lord's Prayer. Maybe if you know it or if you grew up in a church, maybe you've said it before. You know, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. You may have heard that before. But there's a line right there in the middle where he says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, his prayer basically is, if we're to put it in a nutshell, he's basically saying, hey, make everything down here like it is up there. May your kingdom, your rule uh, infect and infest all of the, all of the world that we, that we live in now. And so for us, very practically as a church, we want to be a kingdom-minded church, and we want to think about Richmond in that way. We want to think, all right, as I look around Richmond, what doesn't look like heaven right now? In other words, what looks like hell, and how can I help how can i help bring reconciliation bring peace bring hope to communities and to places and to families and relationships within our city that need that like wh- where can i where can i look around and see things that are broken and, and try to jump in and fix and and, and Uh, and and help in those situations. That's what it means to be kingdom-minded. And we've said at this church, we don't want to be the best church in the city. We want to be the best church for the city. We want to roll up our sleeves and get involved here in our community and and help see the kingdom expand in Richmond and in beyond. Now, that sounds lofty. That sounds like I'm a dreamer. Sounds like, oh my gosh, you're going to really do all of these things. But but I, I really believe it's lofty because that's the mission Jesus called us to. He called us to expand the kingdom. When God's kingdom comes, people are going to be healed from addictions. When God's kingdom comes, marriages are going to be restored that are broken. When God's kingdom comes, kids are going to grow up in stable, healthy families. When God's kingdom comes, single people are going to find uh, connection and relationship and be part of the family. All of these things are going to happen because the kingdom is going to expand and people are going to meet Jesus and, 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 and find a sense of hope. So I want to look at um, what this new community looks like, this this kingdom-minded community looks like. And, and looking at the last chapter of the book of John today, and I, and I think there's some principles in there that are really important for us as a church about, about what it means to be here and what we're doing here. So John chapter 21, the disciples were in Jerusalem for their crucifixion. They were there for Passover. Uh, the Passover celebration where all the Jews would come into Jerusalem. And then eventually they have to go home. So they go back to where they're from, which is in northern Israel, around the Sea of Galilee, uh, also known as the Sea of Tiberias is another name for it. So I want to pick it up in John chapter 21. We'll look at the the, kind of the marks of this new community. John 21, starting with verse 1, we'll put it up on the screen. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter... Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. Then they, they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. All right, Peter has just seen Jesus die and come back from the dead, and that'll mess with you. That'll mess with your perception of the world and what you think is true and what's going on. And so he needs some time to process. And so he decides, hey, um, I'm just going to go fishing because I don't know if you've ever gone fishing, but all fishing is, is time to process. There's no action there. It's just sitting there thinking about things in life. And maybe we should all do a little more fishing because it's, it's good for that. So Peter's like, I'm going to go fishing. I want to go, you know, probably like, hey, I just need to think and I need to process. And of course, when you want to get off by yourself, a few, a few buddies are like, let's go with you. So, Peter's like, fine, you can come with me and grab poles. You know, we're going to go. So, they go out on the the Sea of Galilee and they start fishing. And and what we know is they they fished all night. So, they pull an overnighter and uh, they catch nothing. Then look what happens. Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? they answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. All right, let's talk about this. There's a couple odd things here. First of all, Jesus calls them children. Anyone kind of catch that? Like, I don't know about you, but that sounds real patronizing, you know? Like, hey, kids, Hey, kids, what's up? Do you guys catching anything? And they don't know who it is. So there's this guy. They're out, you know, it's morning time. There's this guy on the shore, and he's like, hey, children, have you caught any fish? Which, you know, if you've been fishing all night and you haven't caught any fish, it's a little bit of a sore subject, I'm sure. So here comes this guy calling me a kid, asking me if I've caught anything. And it's like, no, thanks for asking. But why does he say children? I, I looked it up, and, and the word there that is translated as children could actually be translated a couple different ways. And and here's the thing. It's a very friendly, close, endearing sort of term. It doesn't literally mean kids. In fact, other translations will say friends or something like that. Well, depending on what language you want to put this in, you're going to use a different word there. And it's trying to get at this idea of a really close relationship. Um, If if Jesus was straight hood, he might say homie. If Jesus was British, he might have called them lads. Uh, You know, there's all sorts of different ways that he's going to talk about this. If, he, if Jesus was a frat guy, he would have called them bros. Like, there, there's just, um, this is the idea. It's a, very, it's a very close term that he uses. He's like, hey guys, yo, uh, have you caught any fish? And, and what I think is funny about it is they're like, no, we haven't caught any fish. And then Jesus, instructing professional fishermen from the shore, you know, like a backseat driver, you know, there's always that one guy who knows better than you, Jesus yells out, hey, um, try fishing off the right side of the boat. And, you know, I'm sure they're like, oh, because we never thought of that, genius. We've been here all night. Fine. Throw the nets over. And then they can hardly haul the nets back in. There's so many fish that they, that they catch. It's, it's like a really uh, uh, powerful scene. And then they recognize who they're, they're dealing with. Look at, look at verse 7. That disciple, whom Jesus loved, therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about 100 yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them and although there were so many, the net was not torn down, was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus had, was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So John, you know, the guy who wrote this book, who constantly refers to himself as the one that Jesus loved, which is awesome. John, is the first one to recognize that, oh, actually, this is Jesus that's back here. Like, that, that's, that's right there. Like, look out, looking out, he's like, wait a second, that's Jesus. So, John recognizes that, and, and, and he points out and says, that's the Lord. And Peter, being the impulsive one, he always has been in, 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 the, in the gospel accounts, Peter, like, throws on his clothes, jumps in the water, and swims over to Jesus. Everyone else, a little more sensibly, just kind of, like, row the boat back to shore and, and go back there. And, and Jesus is there, and they have a fish fry. Because it's you know Friday or whatever I don't know because they have they have a fish fry and Jesus is like let's have breakfast so so literally for these guys it's like Jesus was dead on the cross he's back he showed up in a room we talked to him now we're having breakfast together like it's it's pretty jarring when we just read it like a story but it's pretty jarring what's going on in their lives and they're having this fish fry with Jesus um, what was the point of that like why is this story even included in in the gospel account well. If you go back to when Jesus first called those guys to, to follow him, it's recorded in Matthew chapter 4. When, when Jesus meets Peter, he says to him, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. He takes a guy who's a fisherman and says, hey, you're not going to catch fish anymore. If you follow me, I'm going to help you catch people. You're, you're going to be reaching for souls, for, for lives, and changing them and touching hearts and all of that kind of stuff. That's what I want you to do. Stop just catching fish. It, and so here we are at the end story in, in, in the whole thing. And they're kind of back, they're back to that, this, this fish-catching story here. And Jesus shows up to remind Peter and to remind the disciples what they're supposed to be all about. Because, you know, Peter has traveled with Jesus for years, saw him die, saw him resurrected. And I'm sure Peter's like, what am I going to do now? I guess I'll just catch fish again. Like, that's my job. It's what I do. And, and Jesus shows up and he's like, no, I, I've got... I've got more for you here. And, and kind of brings him back into the, to the family and, and, and puts him back on mission. Now, th- your life's going to be different than this. In fact, he's going to predict where, G- where Peter's life goes here in, in, in just a minute. So it's this cool, like, restoration thing that, that happens here uh, with, with Peter. And, it, and if you look at this entire story of, like, why is this in the Bible, if you look at it from the kingdom perspective, I think John is giving us a few glimpses of what this new community of Christ is supposed to look like. And first of all, we are called to be a community that catches fish. That's what the church is supposed to do. We're called to be a community that catches fish. Not literally fishing, but reaching out to people and and helping people connect with Jesus. We have a mission statement of this church, Area 10 exists, to love God, love people, and love this city beyond reasons, just called Love Beyond Reason. You probably saw it on a banner when you came in this morning. That is, that is the heartbeat of, of this church. We are called to reach out to those who are not here, who outside of these walls, and to, and to connect people with Christ, and to bring hope, and that's important for you to remember as you evaluate what we're doing here as a church. We do not exist to just sit here in the bird. We're going to do that. We're going to get together. We're going to come together as a family and and, and all that. But we exist for people who aren't here yet. That means there are VCU art students who have graduated from school and they're living here in town and they're trying to figure out their next step. And they want to create something beautiful. And we're going to say, create something beautiful and, and know your creator. You were created to create. You were made to make. God has poured something in you. Now pour something out for others and for his glory. We're trying to connect people to God as the great artist. We're, we're going to point uh, young families who are struggling to raise kids, we're going to point them to the resources that God has for us and, and, and show them what it means to have a heavenly father and, and what that looks like. We're going we're gonna to reach out to single folks who are here and they're just worn out from the game because there's a game out there and there's a way you play it. And they're just worn out from that and we're going to invite them in and say, uh, God has more for you and, and welcome to the family and be part of the community here and, and meet folks that are here. We're going to do all of these things to build a new community of faith uh, here in the city. That, that's, that's why we planted this church. And, and partly why we planted this church is because our culture just sucks at community. It just does. I just, I don't know how to say it. Like, we're just not good at this stuff anymore. And it's getting, I think it's getting worse. We're getting, for all the connection that we have of social media, and you can, so that's great. You can write something online and your uncle in Idaho can like it. Don't you feel so connected now? Like, for all of that, of what we believe social media, the kind of connection it gives us, and it does give some, sure, we're missing out on just the day-to-day, person-to-person, life-upon-life connection that's right there in front of us. Because instead of eating the food, we're Instagramming the food, you know? We're taking selfies instead of enjoying just being there at the thing. We're like, I've got to take a selfie of me there at the thing to let everyone know that I was there at the thing. And the church... More so now, I feel this more now than I felt eight years ago when we started this church. The church needs to be an alternative to that. We need to be a community where we actually know each other, where we actually connect. And to be a community of hope where we hold hands as a community, but we hold hands facing outward, not inward. We're facing outward because we want to reach people who aren't here yet who need to know the love of Christ. Now, when I say reaching out, that's gonna involve you speaking up and sharing the faith that you have, and that's gonna kick up all sorts of tension in you, and you're not sure about that, and how do I do that? That's what we're gonna talk about starting next Sunday. We're starting a new series called Get Out There, and we're gonna talk about the community and how we can reach out and talk about comfort and, 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 and our neighborhoods and, and the city and lots of good stuff that's gonna be coming up. So, so come back for that next week. So Jesus doesn't just say catch fish. There's also another piece to this. Look at Let's continue on in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Okay, first of all, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And I was trying to dig into that. I'm like, more than these what? More than these other guys? That's awkward. You know, putting him on—it's kind of putting him on the spot. Hey, you love me more than these other fools? No, it's not that. That's not what he's talking about. Most commentators will will point you to and say, no, he's talking about like the, the nets and the fishing and the and like the scene, the 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 business, the, the, the Peter's life work of of catching fish or whatever. He's like, do you love me more than just this job? And 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 three times. He asked this question to, to Peter, and three times Peter responds. To the point of getting exasperated, he responds, Yeah, you know I love you. Yes, I absolutely, I love you. And it's interesting that it's three times, because if you remember what was going on just before the, the, the crucifixion, at one minute, when Jesus goes to get arrested, Peter's pulling out a sword, and he's ready to just smoke a fool who's trying to roll up on Jesus. And so he's like, I'm going to kill this guy. These people are coming to kill Jesus. I'm, I'm ready. I'm going to get after him. He's doing that one minute, and then a couple minutes later, Peter is denying that he even knows Jesus. And not once, not twice, three times, Peter denies that he knows Jesus. He denies that there's any relationship there. And maybe not so coincidentally, here we are, and maybe maybe Peter's feeling a little sheepish in this moment. And not coincidentally, Jesus says to Peter three times, let me hear you say it, dude, three times again, that you actually do love me. And all along the way, he says, feed my sheep. If you love me, here's what you're going to do. You're going to take care of people and you're going to help people grow. So number one, we're called to catch fish as a community, but number two, we are called to be a community where people grow. We're called to be a community where you take advantage of growth opportunities and, you, and yes, you come to Jesus exactly as you are, but you don't stay there. You take whatever the next step is that God's calling you to. And you move forward that there's to be a progression here in this church. There are growth opportunities galore in this church. There are, well, the teaching that we do here on Sunday and the worship and all of that kind of stuff, but there's serving opportunities because serving gets you out of yourself and focused on others, which is actually very, very good for you, for your health, for your emotions, all that. So there are serving opportunities here where you can serve other people in the body of Christ and, and out in the city. There are uh, opportunities for you to learn more like how to study the Bible. And there's parents, we do A10U, like we'll be doing one starting in June. We do A10U classes where you can do a month long class like a, you know, once a week for a month class, we're doing one on transformation and how you change. We're doing one, uh, we, we've, we have done and will continue to do classes on parenting, classes on uh, marriage, classes on finances. We've done area uh, financial peace university. Many of you have taken that because we don't hit adulthood automatically knowing how to handle money. Um, And so financial peace is an incredible class that teaches people a lot of godly principles about money management. That's a growth opportunity that's there for you. We have small groups that meet for 16 weeks in the spring, and then again in the fall, you can jump in one of those small groups. We have hundreds of people in this church who are part of those groups, and we also have hundreds of people who are not. And so the opportunities are there for you to grow, but you've got to take advantage of them. And what I see are people kind of I'll try something, and then they back out. Oh, that wasn't awesome. It wasn't the best. I'll serve for a little bit, but then I'm going to peace out. I'll, I'll lean in a little bit, but then I'm going get, to get back out of it. And they, they're not consistent. And what people do at this church, at other churches I've been a part of, basically every church I've ever been a part of or even seen or heard of, people leave the church, and they all say the same thing. I'm leaving because I'm not being fed here. All right, hold up. <laughs> I'm not being fed here. That's a food term. I mean, it, it, it sounds spiritual, right? Well, that's a good reason to leave a church. Man, I'm just not being fed over there. Feed me the Word of God. I'm not being fed. Let's think about it for a second. Who needs to be fed in this world? We're going to put it in a physical terms. Who needs to be fed? Babies, right? Babies need to be fed. In fact, if you think about the progression of, of maturity, babies need to be fed so much so that when they're born, you stuff a food source into their mouth. Like, you're, they just that's just how it works. I'm not going to be more graphic than that. You can just That's just what happens. And then, then they can sit up, and they get control of their head and stuff. They sit up, and you take a spoon of little mushy peas and sweet potatoes, and you put it in their mouth. They're growing, okay? Then you reach this phase where they sit in one of those high chairs with the white tray on it, and you drop... Uh, Cheerios on that tray and they grab half of them and throw them around the room, mash a few, and then a couple of them get in their mouth. And you're like, winning! And then you do then you do messier foods because but I don't know why because you think that's a good idea. So you can do messier foods and they're getting all over the place. Some of it ends up in their mouth and you're like, they can move the little you know, kind of move the little spoon to their mouth. That's cool. Then they get a little older, they can sit up, you give them a little sandwich on a plate, they can eat it. Um, you pour them cereal, they can eat it. And then there's this progression in in the growth of your children. Some of you aren't there yet who have kids, but you will get there and, I, and you're going to be like, praise God, holly, this is the greatest thing ever. It's when those kids can pour their own cereal in the morning because it means you can sleep in on a Saturday because they're going to get up before you and they're going to pour their cereal and it's going to be fantastic. That is a incredible moment of growth and maturity. And then as they get older, what happens next? Well, then they can make their own food. I mean, my house, my boys are 14, 12, and 10. My boys turn 12 today, and the other one turns 10 tomorrow. And, and they are, the, And we're at the stage where I don't have to put food in their mouth. I don't have to put it on a tray. Basically, all I need to do is keep the fridge stocked and say, you're hungry? Go get it. It's in there. And they go and they climb in the cabinets, they pull stuff down, they, they make stuff. I still cook meals for them, but they can, they can feed themselves. In fact, and then as you hit adulthood, you don't, when you're an adult, you don't expect people to feed you. You're like, I'm an adult. I don't, I'm going to put food, I'm going to get what I want and put it in my mouth, right? Like you don't have people feeding you. Now think of it in terms of people who are like at church. They're like, oh, the church isn't feeding me. Really? That's not my job. Like, if you're brand new, yeah, we'll, we'll help put food in your mouth, and we'll give you opportunities and all that kind of stuff. But really, the biggest part of my job at this church is to keep the fridge stocked and make sure that there's something there for you to grab. So, for people who are saying, I'm not being fed, I'm going to go somewhere else, that's not spiritually mature. Spiritually mature people know well enough to feed themselves. Spiritually really immature people uh, don't even know enough to say that they're not being fed because they're brand new to their faith, and they're like, I'm just kind of learning and growing. I don't, e- I don't even know that's a thing you can say. The only people who say I'm not being fed here are people who are not as mature as they think they are. They know enough to say I'm not being fed, but they don't know enough to actually just go grab the food themselves and get after it. And man, if you're not being fed here, um, I, I don't know where you're going to be fed. I, I, maybe there's another place for you that, that you're going to need to find. But so much of it, I think, is like the gym. It's like, man, I've am not getting. i joined this gym, but I'm not getting in shape as, I, as much as I want to. I'm going to join a different gym. You can join 50 gyms. At the end of the day, if you don't get in there and lift weights, you're not going to get in shape. No, one, no one's going to make you do that. You, that's the part you're just going to have to actually step up and, and do. So, as a church... We're going to be outward focused. We're going to catch fish. Yes, and then we're also going to feed sheep. We went from fish to sheep. It's an evolutionary thing. I don't understand. But um, we're, we're going to grow. Um, we're going to keep the fridge stocked. Um, but a big part of growth, honestly, is going to come uh, when we deal with our stuff. When we, when we really... Uh, put our stuff out there. Because so much of the community of faith, for it to really be a community where we love and serve and help one another, so much of that is going to come when we're honest about who we are. So often in church, and in a lot of environments, we hide who we are. We say, you know, you do this at school, you do this at work, you may do this at... In your house to some degree. You pretend you are something that you are not, or or you don't let anyone see your struggles or your sin or anything. And so you come to church, and people are like, how are you? And you say, fine. You're not fine. You had a terrible week. Things are awful. But you say, fine, because you don't want to have the conversation or whatever. And you hide your stuff all the time. I'm fine. How are you? I'm good. I'm dressed up. I was just totally... Totally fighting with my, my boyfriend on the way here, and we're in a terrible place. I was just smacking my kids around and whatever, like, before I got here. But I'm fine. I'm hashtag blessed. I'm good. Uh, we, we say this stuff, and we hide who we are, and no one grows in that situation. That's not growth for the person who could help you, and that's not growth for you, because you're denying who you are, and you're denying what's going on. I'm not saying you walk into a room like this, and you spill all your guts over everybody, but I am saying you got to spill all your guts on somebody. Somebody needs to know. In a small group or a one-on-one, out of a small group, you get together with someone for coffee and say, this is where I'm struggling. And we're hiding and it's not working. Let me give you one area where, I, where I'm seeing this a ton right now. I know this isn't going to apply to everybody in the room, but this is just one example. Marriage. There are marriages struggling in this church right now. There's marriages struggling. That Hopefully that did not surprise you. And if you're one of them, I hope you're hearing me on this. There's marriages struggling and they're struggling because you're hiding what's going on. You're not dealing with what's really going on. So, people will come to me, and I've heard this over the last six months, year, or whatever. People come to me, and they're like, yeah, you know, um, you talked about our marriage. It's not going well. Um, we're having some struggles. And then they lay out what their struggles are. And I'm like, bro, you're not, ha- you're not having some struggles. You were having some struggles five years ago. You're in a real bad place now. Like where were you five years ago? That's when we should be having this conversation. When it starts to be a problem, not when it's I'm on the way out. I'm going to stop by and see the pastor so I can check that box off on the way out. And I hear that from a lot of other pastors. Are like so many people come for counseling when they're on their way out and they just wanted to say that they did. They just wanted to say they they they, they got counseling and that didn't work either. Man, when you notice the slightest crack. Reach out. Get counseling. We, in the app today, there's notes on the sermon. There's, there's a counseling recommendation in there. We will point, uh, point you on Facebook to a couple other counseling recommendations that we have. Reach out and get help. Don't be so prideful. I don't need this. Those counselor people can't help me. Psychology, blah, blah, blah. Who needs that? We're good. We're fine. That's pride talking and saying that, oh, uh, we're, we'll, we'll be fine. It's going to be no problem. Go see a counselor. We, my wife and I go. It's helpful. It's like a Go, like, it's like an oil change. Like, go whether you, need, you think you need it or not. Just go or the engine's going to seize up. Go see a counselor and, and, and look for those signs that there's cracks in the marriage. One of those signs would be like, if you, if you say something to your spouse and they cut your head off and you sit there and you go, well, I guess I'll never bring that up again. That's a warning sign. That's a flag. Hey, we have a communication breakdown and instead of dealing with it, I'm just going to swallow it so it never comes up again. That's a problem. This is how you slowly drift apart. But I would say one of the best easy indicators I could give you as a married couple for are things starting to get a little bit off the rails, um, and this one's easy because you can measure it, it's this. Sex. Sex. Okay, let's move on. No, just kidding. Uh, Just leave that there. Let that sit out there for a second. I, the question I've asked a lot of couples when I get together with them um, was like, when was the last time you had sex? Uh, And I, and so then they, so if they're like, you know, yesterday, I'm like, cool. But a lot of times with couples that I'm seeing have problems, they're going to say, I don't remember, Um, three months, six months, a year ago. That's a problem, guys. That is a problem. And I'm not saying sex is everything, because it isn't but I'm saying the lack of it is a big deal. It's not everything in a marriage. It's not the engine that drives your marriage. But it is like the key and if you don't like, not the key, but maybe a key, I don't know, it's the starter, it's the alternator. It's one part of the engine that like, without it, you'd, there's something not going. It is a massive red flag. If you're like, we haven't had sex in six months, there is a problem there. I've never been one to say it should be, you should be having sex this often or whatever, but it is more than once every six months. I know that is the case. That is a sign, that is a flag waving at you that you have a problem and you need to go talk to someone and work through your stuff. Because usually that is an indicator of other things that are going on. It is a light on your dashboard saying there's something broken here. And that's not just me talking, the Bible says it too. Isn't that awesome? So convenient. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, the Apostle Paul says, basically, in a nutshell, hey married people, have sex a lot. Because I don't want you to be tempted out there in the world. Have sex a lot. The only time I don't want you to have sex is if you're praying. It's what he says. It's in the Bible. Look it up. Men, write it down. 1 Corinthians 7. You're like, I am looking that up later. It does say, like, I don't know, print it out uh, over a picture of like, cl- of like clouds and rainbows and like frame it and put it on the wall in your bedroom. Hang it up and be like, that's the, that's the good book right there. <laughs> you can, like say to your wife, you're like, honey, the Bible says. And I just try to do what the word tells me, you know. I'm a good man. Read it. It's there. 1 Corinthians 7. Paul is telling us that. Why? Because he knows how we are. And it's not everything, but it's something, and you've got to look into this stuff. And, 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 I, and I bring that all up kind of in the context of community here and say, we have to be honest about who we are. We can't keep hiding things with one another in, in the family here. Bring it up and say, hey, this is, where I'm, this is where I'm struggling. This is not a community designed for you just to pretend to look good. It's too dark in here for that anyway. Like, why, why, would, we, why would we do that? Get help. See, see a counselor. And I'm telling you this because it's all part of what it means to feed the sheep. We have to be honest and, and with our struggles and reach out. So number one, we've got to catch the fish and be outward focused. Number two, we need to feed the sheep and, and love and serve one another inside. And number three is the last piece. We need to follow. We're called to be a community where we follow Jesus wherever he leads us. Listen to what Jesus says in response to Peter uh, in verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young... You used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Jesus says, Peter, yeah, I know... uh, I, here's how it's going to go for you. I know you're saying you love me and you're on mission and all that, and you're back in the fold, and there's grace for you, and God loves you, and you're in the family, and all of that is good. I know all that's great for you right now, Peter. Here, I got a mission for you. I want you to catch fish. I want you to feed the sheep, all of that. But here's how this is going to go down. One day, someone's going to come take you, and they're going to take you where you don't want to go, and you're going to die. And John says this is an indicator of Peter's death. Historians would say the same thing, that Peter in Rome, in around the year 64 AD, is going to be taken by guards and hung upside down on a cross when Nero gets angry at the Christians in Rome and and starts persecuting them. That's how Peter's life is going to go. And Jesus is telling him right there, this is going to go badly for you, Peter, one day. And, And at the end of all that, he says, still, follow me. Follow me in spite of the pain. Follow me in spite of the way this is going to end. Follow me into suffering. Because Jesus demonstrated that. He's already suffered for us. And he's saying, hey, this is the direction this is going to go. And that's super uncomfortable for us. That's uncomfortable for me to say it out loud. The, the best thing I could say to you, if, if I was thinking from a church growth perspective, is to say that Jesus loves you and that everything's going to be fine. And if you just follow him, everything's wonderful. It's not all wonderful. And he tells one of his closest followers, hey, this is going to end badly for you, bro. Bro. And he still says, Follow me. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to, to reach in and to lean into the pain and lean into the suffering, even though it's not all awesome all the time. So we're going to talk about that actually starting next week. We're going to talk about what it means to be uncomfortable and, uh, and how that's actually the discomfort is part of, part of God's plan for us. Let's pray. Lord, help us to reach out beyond our walls. Help us to reach inward here as well to love and serve one another. And God, help us to follow you wherever you would lead us. Um, we want to be the community on earth that you uh, have called us to be. It's a, it's a lofty goal, but it's what, it's what your spirit empowers us to do and what you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.